I've had a, a day of pottering around, picking up crab apples, starting the process of making crab apple jelly. Lovely. Because as we know, Tom is the jam man. He is the jam man. Da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, he's the jam man. Is that the, is that the, that's, that's my soundtrack, is it? Well, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're back on the jam. Yeah, back on. I've got jams and trains as well. We've got we've got the uh, the Lego train set going around the living room now. Yeah, I've seen a picture. Yeah, I know. Oh. Were you jealous? dot com. I was. I I was jealous. dot com. dot org. dot uk. Yeah. Lego train set can't go wrong. I know. Super cheap off Facebook Marketplace. Boom. Have that. Hello and welcome to that was genius. The little history podcast in which Tom. Hello. A man with more Lego train sets than any man could reasonably need, but also not enough Lego train sets, as he's soon to discover. And Sam, a man over here bereft of all Lego train sets, just looking through the window of the wealthy, watching them as they deliberately crash them together and put pirates on them and shit. I discuss history stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme a week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. Uh, what's the theme this week, Tom? The theme is the internet, and you are right, actually. This weekend we were planning on using pirates. Yes. Uh, on a train line. <laughs> with a cannon. <laughs> yep. Yep. I was full, fully... Well, we've already done that with spaceships. We've had... We, we took a Star, Star Wars X-Fighter. Is it called an X-Fighter or is it an X-Wing? I don't know. X-Wing, yeah. It's called an X-Wing. And we, we put cannons, about eight cannons on the wings. <laughs> I, loaded question, because you've sent me a very short and aggressive Facebook message about this. How did you find this week, Tom? <laughs> Now, I, I, I can't remember who suggested this topic, but it is it is a howler. I'm not blaming the person who suggested it, because I thought at the time that it was quite a good suggestion. And I had a long think about why it was so bloody hard. Did you find it hard? I I found something quite quickly. But, okay. But yes, I could very much tell that it was it was going to be a tricky one. I think there, I had to think about it, and there are a few I, I reasons lucky I think it's difficult. rather than it was easy. Yeah. I, I had to think about it, and I think there's a few reasons why it's hard. I think the first reason is obviously when we talk about the internet, we're actually talking about the World Wide Web usually, which only turned usually. up in the early 90s. So it's only 30 years old. Yeah. And nothing funny was happening in its early years. And anything <laughs> that funny that happened after that is easy to find on the internet. Yes. Unfortunately, most of the internet's history is documented on the internet. Exactly. So things yeah. like Rick Rolling, memes, silly hashtags, all that shit, it's all, it's all on the internet. And in addition to that, they're very visual. So not really very good for podcasts. Yes. Yeah. This is why I, I deliberately went to the very, very early stages of networked communications where I knew it was all going to be text or even nothing visual at all because then, then you I'll get be honest, human stories. I went there as well. And I found that if you go back to the 60s, 70s, 70s and 80s, I thought things got incredibly painful and dull. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen so many acronyms and initialisms in my life. Yes. Um, incidentally, do you know the difference? Because I learned this today, the difference between an, an acronym and an initialism. An, an acronym, uh, I think, actually has to be a word. Yes. So it, it's said like a word, like yes, AIDS or NATO. phonetically, yes. Yeah. Whereas an initialism is like WHO or DNA yes. or WWF, that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, NATO, yeah. NATO is an acronym and ATM is an initialism. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so that's that's what I struggled with. And then the other thing is weird conspiracy theories. When you start going into forums, trying to find funny things that have happened in the last 20 years on forums, oh my fucking God. 
endless <laughs> supply of primary sources. By primary sources, I mean weirdos who spend too much time writing in forums. Yeah. From their dark and smelly bedrooms. Anyway, and then I did find something good. So I, I did get there in the end, but it was it was like trudging through a porridge-filled bath to start off with. That's the third episode in the week we mentioned porridge. Mm. I like my porridge. I'm having it three mm. days. Three days? Three times a day at the moment. Oh, lovely. I'm on the porridge diet. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. You've started to sprout ginger hair and talk in a weird voice. I have. I've started wearing kilts. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly, <laughs> though, you're not allowed haggis on broken, this diet. And you've just started wearing your wife's skirts because you've run out of trousers. <laughs> Damned if you're going to get it fixed. 75 yeah. quid? Pff, fuck off. <laughs> Next, I'm on to intermittent haggising. <laughs> I think it'd be far more uh, far more Scottish to go and do some uh, intermittent rioting. <laughs> so just intermittent fighting. Yes. <laughs> it's intermittent barroom brawling. Yeah. yeah. Whose turn is it to go first? It's mine, but uh, I think we've got some audience feedback. First of all, I'd like to congratulate you on your um, Facebook comment where you said we are experiencing a high volume of ghouls at the moment. Good. <laughs> that was clearly, uh, cl- easily the funniest thing either of us have ever said yes connected to this Facebook <laughs> connected connected to this podcast yes uh, um, join our if you want to see that hilarious comments you can find our Facebook group that was genius a funny history podcast group on Facebook yeah very very good and then we had a message from Sean from Ohio I'm not sure if I should read it all out because it was kind of you know I, I don't know whether these people send these messages privately or whether they want them to be read out but uh, we, they know we read the messages out do you reckon Okay, well, he says, first, I'd like to thank you. Your podcast helped this Yankee through the pandemic and our insurrection of orange fans. Anyway, I made a joke about Americans not knowing where other countries are on the map in in one of our old episodes. And he appreciated that joke as an American history teacher. It was a bit of a cheap gag. I mean, it's a cheap gag, isn't it, saying that Americans uh, don't know any other countries because most Brits don't know <laughs> either, apart from southern Spain. Pretty good at... Yeah. Probably, well, even then, I don't think they'd be able to find on a map. They find Heathrow <laughs> Airport, but that's about it. Yeah. Yes, so that was it, unless you have anything else that I didn't let spot. Me, let me just uh, let me just have a quick scroll. scrolly wooly through wooey um, Mate. Dingarooly, wooly booly. Oh, one minute ago. One minute ago. Yeah. Jerome, on uh, one of our patrons, sent us a message idea for future episodes. Peculiar, weird, archaic, or downright disgusting traditions or customs. At posh weird, British private a Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs> at posh British private schools. Yes, I think we have actually touched on that, haven't we? Soggy biscuit. I think we have. We have. We have touched on that, as have many private school boys over the years. <laughs> yes, but that is a good suggestion. Aaron from Ontario and Canada says, "Keep up the great work, guys. Always look forward to your episodes. Hope you are well." He also suggested. Rivers, islands, feats of survival, mountains and historic journeys. We've done journeys a few times. Thank you, Aaron. I think that's it. Oh, actually, we had one on Twitter a day or two ago. Hold on. Oh, did we? That's one that yeah. I wouldn't have spotted. Twitter. My favourite murder of crows uh, tweeted us saying, My favourite quote of the day is, Fairy tales, absolutely hideous until Disney comes along and fucks with them. <laughs> so, who, who said that? Was that you? I can't remember which of us it was. It was, it was one was or t'other of us, yeah. Doesn't sound like me. It's not funny enough. <laughs> anyway, shall I get going? Yes. I, I worked very hard to find a fun topic, and that topic oh, is... Oh, it's me, it's me who's supposed to be going first. Oh, I thought you said I was going first. No, it's me. Oh, well, tickle my balls and call me Derek. Hello, Derek. I'm sorry. 
Nibbly Ooh. nibbly nibble. <laughs> I say, where did that come from? <laughs> you know where it came from. Yeah, very A place long of love fingers. and respect. <laughs> <laughs> Fully consensual. Well, Tom, as you've said, it was a bloody difficult week this week. But I've managed to find something, I think, with my limited knowledge of the internet that is quite cool. It was one of the first internets, so I'm going pre-World Wide Web. And it's one of the first, what they call, an Internet of Things, which is a, a phrase which is kind of banded around a lot, where technology talks to other technology. So your toaster will talk to your phone and, you know, you can... <laughs> You can if pull I see up. some toast, <laughs> would you like a crumpet? <laughs> How'd you fancy a croissant, hmm? Exactly. Don't exactly like that. They're dangerous. Don't toast a pop tart. Cup of tea. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this, but carry on. Keep on your mad journey of imagination <laughs> through the kitchen. I can make you a cup of tea if you like, or you could ask the microwave over there. I like that you've given the kettle a, a fuck knows from where, presumably the Yukon, North American accent, when, as everyone knows, in North America they don't have electric kettles, Tom. Do they not? No, they don't. What, they have what, wind-up ones? What do they use? <laughs> they, they, use ga- they use gas. They just cook on the hob. They cook their tea, they, they warm their water on the hob. Yeah, well, they, micro- they put a tea bag in cold water and then microwave it. Or troglodytes. So yeah, the Internet of Things is things talk things talking to things. So yes, your your toaster saying to your kettle, oi oi mate. Got a couple of nice rounds around in here. Fancy sticking a little brewski wooski on. It's basically a system of items talking to each other without the need for human intervention and therefore human mistakes. You know, you don't put the toast on for too long or put the fridge on twenty degrees Celsius rather than Fahrenheit. Today I'm talking about Project CyberSim, which was a system developed by the socialist Chilean government of the early 1970s, and it essentially aimed to hand the entire economy over to machines, well, specifically one rather shit machine, and get rid of management on the way to a socialist utopia. And having just finished a job as a manager at the BBC, I can quite categorically confirm that the greatest way to achieve a socialist utopia is to get rid of management. (laughs) Now, today, this is a pretty normal idea. Businesses, they use computers all the time to help them make decisions on everything from air ticket pricing to stock market moves and how much electricity to supply to the national grid, yada, yada. But this was probably, I I think I'm right in saying that uh, CyberSim was the first time it was ever actually implemented. It was implemented on a national full economy scale and it actually worked really, really well. In fact, it beat the CIA. Not difficult, if you've ever read up on the history of the CIA. Oh, goddamn. Oh, goddamn. All I wanted was a cup of tea, but this goddamn cup of tea has stumped me, this kettle. The entirety of the CIA. But it seems to be a wind-up one. (laughs) How long do I have to cycle for to make myself a cup of tea? A cup of joe? I just want a coffee. A coffee. Coffee. Yeah. I mean... Can you imagine, Tom, can you imagine the CIA being outsmarted by a computer with the processing power of a traditional Game Boy? Yes. <laughs> probably, probably less, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> imagine the CIA being outsmarted by a game of tic-tac-toe. It did work really, the system worked amazingly well. So what so was, it was it asked to do? What was this system asked to do? Oh, come on to that. 
Oh, right. It's, not it's, really all, in the, it's all in the notes. The system was what's known in tech speak as a decision support system, a DSS. As you said, there are lots of acronyms <laughs> and <laughs> initialisms in, yeah. in the 1970s computing, which was first planned by the USSR in the late 1950s in a system called OGAS the National Automated System for Computation and Information Processing, a classically snappy Soviet name, I think you'll agree. Isn't that what Barry White used to, used to say after he'd farted? <laughs> okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, I thought you were... I thought you were going for... Oh, the National Automated System for Computation and Information Processing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah. I feel like making uh, data entries. Mm, <laughs> I like to try and say the word as while I'm still farting, see if I can stretch it right out. Mm. <laughs> and just like my Elvis starts to sound like a Midwest preacher, <laughs> Tom, <laughs> Tom's Barry White starts to sound like Elvis. Like a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> I said it's one for one minute, two for two minutes, three for three minutes, and four, it's burnt. Oh, don't you overdose my toast. <laughs> Well, you can do anything, but don't fuck my sourdough. Honey, why did we have to get the Elvis upgrade to the fucking kettle and the toaster and the microwave? Do you want one slice of toast, a two slice of toast, a three slice of toast, a four, four slice, slice of toast? toast? I can't do five slices because I'm a four slice toaster. <laughs> you were too cheap to buy that one. <laughs> and all I can do is sing songs about toast and toasting. <laughs> You like the bread? Well, I like toast. <laughs> Fuck your bread. You're having toast. I'm a toaster. <laughs> so, yes, it was the the National Automated System for Computation and Information Processing. So, OGAS in Russian, or uh, NASKIP, I guess, in, uh, in English. The idea was to have a single mainframe computer in Moscow connected to 200 smaller computers in other cities, in turn connected to up to... a dizzying height, Tom, of 20,000 local computers across factories or offices spread around the USSR. 20,000 computers, can you imagine? It was excitingly known as cybernetic economic planning. Cybernetics being, of course, the merging of human and machine, as anyone who's known, who's uh, ever watched Robocop will know. Or Terminator. I'm a cybernetic organism. You also get a cybernetic organism if, uh, well, so a cybernetic organ if you... Uh, if you're my cleaner. Your, <laughs> <laughs> if you're my pool boy I was going to say if you wrap your dick in Meccano but <laughs> you wrap your dick in Meccano yeah <laughs> a, is that a Freudian slip Sam is this something you did as a teenager I don't know but it would it would make you a it would give you a cybernetic organ <laughs> I suppose it would or cybernetic <laughs> orgasm well yes oh. uh, Meccano is not called Meccano in America Whatever your equivalent is. Americans call individual Legos, as they call them Legos, don't they? They do. They yeah. don't call them pieces of Lego, they call them Legos. Yes. Which is why I think we should cut all ties with America. Let's not, it's where three quarters of our listeners come from, but yes, economically and socially, <laughs> otherwise, I'm game. Until you stop saying I could care less <laughs> and Legos. You're sleeping on the sofa. So the idea of cybernetic economic planning was that by letting Moscow know in real time... What are you doing back there? Are you giggling or scratching on the table? I was giggling because I was about to say, I'll be back. 
because you had to repeat the same thing, but I didn't. Oh, got it. <laughs> so the idea, I thought you were furiously wanking under the table there. You got your Meccano. Oh, not today. <laughs> not this episode. Only the Patreon ones. <laughs> yeah. Patreon.com slash that was genius. The idea was that by letting Moscow know in real time what they needed and what they had produced, the... Uh, factories of the economy could be semi-automated, letting, uh, for example, the woodyard know that the little Russian doll factory needed more wood, or the potato farm know that the distillery needed more crops to make more vodka, or uh, some other Russian thing. Presumably they make things other than Matryoshka dolls and vodka. (laughs) Yes, that more orphan's hair was needed at the Soviet leader eyebrow manufacturing facility. (laughs) Brezhnev's eyebrows had fallen off. He needed more. (laughs) Yes. We need 300 litres of glue. (laughs) And many, many Arctic vlogs. (laughs) It was even planned to use this system to make the economy cashless so that people and factories... Listen to this, Tom, hot take. People and factories could be paid by computer (laughs) rather than by cheque or banknotes. Mm. Fuck me. Ironically, the whole system was brought down in a very uncommunist way and also a very communist way. Because the army didn't want to share its uh, <laughs> share details with the civilian side of the government about how many tanks and planes it needed to build. The Ministry of Finance hated the idea of Russia going cashless and therefore clearly making everyone in the Ministry of Finance redundant. Because how does the country function when people are paid electronically? Jesus. And the central government didn't like it because they didn't like the idea of giving up control of the economy. So, as in all good communist countries, everyone fell out because of their own personal interest, profit, and power motives. Even though <laughs> it would make everyone. Capitalism works. Yes. <laughs> it, en- it embraces these things. Yes, it embraces the folly of human nature. So, even though it would have very likely have made the economy significantly more prosperous and well organised, God forbid everyone might not have the opportunity to rubber stamp every little thing that passed by their desk. And the idea was unfortunately scrapped in 1970. But it didn't die, and in 1970, Chile's democratically elected communist president, Salvador Allende, or Salvador Allende, decided to create the world's first algocracy, which is a country run by algorithms. By Al's. <laughs> yes, by only men named Alan. Al Murray. <laughs> yes. Al, Al Jolson. Jolson. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. Mm. Minister of Defence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a country entirely run by Alan Al- Hansen, defence and minister. Algorithm. Alan Titchmarsh, Ministry of Agriculture. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alan Bennett, Minister of Culture. Yeah. Tim Allen, Minister <laughs> Minister of Construction. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, no, Tom. An algor an algocracy is a I'm country. I'm trying to think if I could do an Alan Bennett impression. Can you do an Alan Bennett impression? No, I don't even really know what he sounds like. Let me, let me. Alan Bennett sounds a bit like that, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. <laughs> like, like Brian Cox. Theatres <laughs> <laughs> are magic because it's where stars are born. Brian Cox, Alan Bennett crossover. Yeah. It wasn't funny, but it was clever. So yeah, an algocracy is a country run by algorithms, and Allende thought, not I'm, I'm pronouncing that wrong, I know I am, not unwisely, that by turning his country's factories over to mathematics and computers, the economy wouldn't need to be meticulously planned, which was the downfall of most communist economies. But more importantly, it could be geared towards providing exactly enough for the needs of the population, at low cost, 
So it avoided capitalist economics of scarcity, i.e. driving up prices by keeping things in short supply, as well as pointless competition. For example, having five kinds of competing loo roll on the shelves. <laughs> he hired a particularly Rasputin-esque computer scientist from Britain, and if you Google him, you'll see what I mean. A guy called Stafford Beer to help rah, design rah, the system. Stafford Beer, <laughs> designer of computer systems. <laughs> I don't know more about him, so I can't add He make computers verse. easy to use. <laughs> he make computers easy to use. <laughs> Beer, sold on the promise of a limitless utopian bounty of two-ply loo roll, willingly signed up. And in a time before the actual internet, this was a genius idea. Government-run factories around the country had a telex machine, essentially a tappy-typey thing connected to a, a router connected to the phone line, which fed back information a several times... A, a tappy-typey thing? A keyboard? <laughs> a tappy-typey thing with communication <laughs> built in. A tappy-typey thing? A, a Bruce Forsyth? A tappy-typey phony-wony, as it's known in uh, Australia. <laughs> tappy-typey woony-loony. <laughs> oh, no. I've left my tappy-typey phony-wony in the car. <laughs> it's, only, it's only a 1% bedry-weddery. <laughs> the juicy woosie's about to run outy-wowdy. And I've got to get all the way to Walla Gilla Gollagong. How am I going to do that without my GPS? It's oh, three and yeah. a half thousand miles, it's but a it's a straight line. It's a five thousand mile road. <laughs> <laughs> you just follow the fucking sun <laughs> for three days. And avoid the really fucking big kangaroos. <laughs> yeah. So, um... Yeah, a telex machine, the the tappy typey phony wony, uh, <laughs> technical speak, very technically minded me. Which these machines fed back information from the factory several times a day on raw materials, on output, on staffing, and everything else needed to run a factory. Cricket scores, <laughs> cricket scores, occasional very very slow pornography. <laughs> Very pixelated Most, porn. Mostly, mostly very pixelated porn. In fact, yes. So a central mainframe, a central mainframe crunched the numbers and printed out pictures of naked ladies and their boobies through an economy <laughs> simulator, which came back with a best case scenario for the factory's production and the skimpiest outfit it could possibly find, and <laughs> and where that factory's production needed to go. So, for example, Lou Roll Factory Number One was going to make a thousand rolls today. Normally, it only needs 750, but there had just been a spicy chili eating contest in the city of Santa Ringerstinger. Best send an extra truck to them Santa, to avoid a... Sh Santa Ringerstinger? He's the one you don't want coming down your chimney. <laughs> You'll, yeah, there's always flaming at the bottom of the chimney when Santa Ringerstinger's about. <laughs> if you've been a really bad boy, you'll get hot coals in your sack. In your sack. I don't know which I'd rather have, Tom, a cure for piles or a pile of presents, you can say. <laughs> uh, sorry, I've consistently interrupted you. You get about 60 seconds no, worth of no, your notes Not at all. That was, one, that was one of the better ones. So, um, <laughs> so yes, Santa Ringer Stinger's having a, having a chili eating contest. Best send an extra truck of loo roll to them to avoid shortages in 12 hours' time. If that didn't work, the system had four levels of extremity in terms of controlling the economy. So if the first one didn't assuage the problem, it would it would go to kind of DEFCON 2. So, at said chili contest in Santa Ringa Stinger, if someone whapped out their famous Dorset Naga chili con carne with slightly out-of-date donkey-innard mints, 
The system would flash a bright red light, sound a klaxon, and order several acres of rainforest to be demolished post-haste to prepare for a very unnatural disaster that was to follow, uh, and to order a sewer cleaning team to the area too. I'm from with a loo roll. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm, I wonder how accurate this analogy here. is. <laughs> not, not very. <laughs> I have no historical source to back up the government's ownership and/or provision of toilet roll in communist Chile. The uh, the system could hire and transfer workers to new jobs. It could arrange transport and it could even set prices. It was genius and it worked really, really well. At the heart of the system was a control room which looked like the bridge of the Starship Enterprise, kind of the, the original one with Captain Kirk. People sat on swivel chairs, which was a revolution at the time, and they had buttons in the armrest. <laughs> I don't think any of these buttons did anything particularly important, so there was no danger of getting overexcited whilst listening to ACDC and accidentally air drumming yourself into a toilet paper-induced economic meltdown. But it was very sci-fi. And at the very, very heart of the control room itself was the mainframe computer and Otom what a beast. The whole socialist economy of Chile was based around one IBM System 360 Model 50 computer, which, let me run down the specs of this bad boy for you, it boasted a whopping 512 kilobytes of memory. Whoa. Half a megabyte, I know, and weighed three tons. Wow. Adding, <laughs> adding in the hard drives, four of them, I've with met, two megabytes I've met each. i people with that much memory. <laughs> weighed that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you've usually been putting together a diet plan and asked them to <laughs> ask them what they ate for the last day. <laughs> I've only had a salad well, and I five double down burgers from, from KFC <laughs> and really, a cheesecake. Really good. <laughs> yeah. mm, oh, you know, five kilograms of peanuts. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. packets of lard. Sew <laughs> down with straight down yeah. my throat. Oh. <laughs> I've got a lovely recipe for pemmican, as eaten by Arctic explorers. <laughs> Lard with raisins and bacon. Ooh! Delicious. The hard drives had four of them with two megabytes of, uh, of hard drive space each, which weighed a ton apiece. So you ended up with a computer weighing seven tons, the weight of a modern HGV, heavy goods vehicle, compared to a modern iPhone. That's something this episode didn't need. It was more initialisms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But compared to the iPhone 12, the iPhone 12 has 12 million times more memory and 8 million times more hard drive space. And I think about 200 million times more processing power as well. But is it any happier, Sam? Well, it can play Candy Crush and Angry Birds, Tom, so yes. <laughs> Probably is, yes. <laughs> yeah, significantly so. It's not an ancient computer sat in a communist utopia. Incidentally, it costs $32,000 a month to rent this computer, so $6 million a year. Why didn't they just buy it? I, mean, uh, I don't think IBM sold them. I think IBM did it on a rental rental basis. Cheeky bastards. I know. Cashing in. The thing is, it not only worked, it beat the CIA, as I said earlier. Being a democratically elected, left-leaning government in 1970 South America, the USA was, of course, hell-bent on installing a very undemocratic fascist government in Chile, as it's wont to do, and began funding various fairly nefarious political groups without doing any real due diligence, including the... Um, very un-American. I know, Tom. Imagine, imagine the good old US of A funding a group called the Fatherland and Liberty Nationalist Front. <laughs> and imagine, I bet when the Americans left 20 years later, they left all their equipment <laughs> for them to use to overrun the country. Well, they didn't need to because they were... Hundreds of helicopters. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> well, they didn't really need to do that because they were funding the opposition. This was very much America funding the Taliban, <laughs> as opposed to Pakistan funding the Taliban, which is what's actually happened, <laughs> and Saudi Arabia. But we can't say that because they're our allies. <laughs> yes, I know. What is it with the Saudis? I'm going to have a go at them later, Sam. Don't worry. I've hmm. got a little bit in my notes. Oh, thank you. Good. <laughs> Good for you. Saudis. Unsurprisingly, the Fatherland and Liberty Nationalist Front, or Patria e Libertad, was a paramilitary group intent on overthrowing the government. And in October 1972, they managed to raise a mass strike of truck drivers, 40,000 of them, who blocked the main roads around the country and every road into the capital, Santiago, with the aim of starving out the population, emptying supermarket shelves, and inciting mass revolt as a result. With only 200 operational trucks in the entire country and no major roadways free to use, the computer, on its own, managed to do the work of 40,000 truck drivers around the country, avoiding starvation, avoiding a coup, and showing just how lazy I was about to say, 40, how bad the truck, truck drivers, drivers were. were. <laughs> how inefficient were these truck drivers? Yeah. That's a lot computer, of dogging. That's, that's more dogging in their day than actually delivering yeah, the stuff. Only- <laughs> The, the only economy that the only uh, economic sector that collapsed was sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> Truck stop sex workers <laughs> and and, and doctor surgeries selling selling uh, yeah. Viagra. No antibiotics. <laughs> selling antibiotics and <laughs> goggles. Kellogg's cornflakes um, and goggles. Kellogg's <laughs> yeah. so, cornflakes, goggles, God. and small sculptures of fish. Great. <laughs> what do you think goes on in a truck? <laughs> Just to keep tabs on everyone. The g- <laughs> Genuinely interested. But we'll talk about that later. Just to keep tabs on everyone, the government also had a project Cyber Folk run through the same computer where people could complain that they were unhappy and the system would try and do something about it, which, because it was a communist government <laughs> in a developing country, meant a lot of complaining about things and very little done, including, for example... The provision of food. Unfortunately, a good computer alone can't save the economy, which was being undermined by the CIA and far too heavily invested in the copper industry, which meant that the economy crashed whenever world copper prices fell. The middle class rebelled, the army did the same, and in 1973, a military coup toppled the socialist government and the army destroyed the mainframe because, God forbid, Tom, God forbid you should have an efficient economy. <laughs> run with some kind of intelligence when you could leave it up to the army but for three glorious years Chile enjoyed an artificial intelligence it It was a rented I'll just give it Uh, back (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) yeah they lost their deposit on that didn't they (laughs) dicks (laughs) stupid that's probably why their economy was having problems in the first place silly decisions yeah absolutely just inefficiency for the sake of it just high jinx it's like Kids throwing iPads out of windows. But yes, for three glorious years, Chile enjoyed an artificial intelligence-powered toilet roll bounty in the economy. Of course, not just bounty. Charmin, Andrex, other toilet rolls are available. (laughs) But there we go, Tom. That is my story for today. The time that a communist government let a computer run the economy, and it did a bloody good job of it. I'm amazed it's taken us this long to get a toilet roll pun in. So well done. Yes. It's a toilet Thank roll you. brand pun. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Solid effort. Well, actually, you've, you've put me to shame there, Sam, because that was an entertaining story, and I didn't think it was possible to find an entertaining story. <laughs> On the internet, about the internet. About the internet, yeah, exactly. I can't help but feel that you're slightly bitter that you've not been able to do a classical <laughs> source this week. 
Well, you know, I tried my hardest. I know why. I know why you're stuck because your Encyclopedia Britannica predates the fucking internet, you've doesn't twice it? Twice now you've thought. You've, you, these were my thought processes, Sam. <laughs> I want. I I was considering doing my Encyclopedia Britannica's version of the internet as my topic. Okay, and what does the Encyclopedia Britannica say? Nothing. Your free copy of the Encyclopedia Britannica <laughs> say have, about the internet? It doesn't have anything about the internet. All the world of course it doesn't. Web. 1999, it's just a few years before, a few years later, and it would have lots and lots of stuff about it. I don't even know if it's got anything about, um, I was going to say George Bernard Shaw. No, who's the guy that invented the um, internet, the British guy? Well, he didn't invent the internet, oh. he invented the World Wide Web. Oh, Tim Berners-Lee. Tim Berners-Lee, that's a one. Berners, uh, Berners. Berners. I'll have a look. At, I, I should have a look to see if he's in there. And then the other thing you took the piss out of, at me out of, classical sources, I went on the time machine, the Wayback Machine. Have you, have you used that before? I have, yeah. Great resource. Yeah, so I went on the Wayback Machine and I wanted to see one of the really early versions of the Perseus.tufts website to see what the first couple of sources were that they managed to upload. But it didn't go back that far. Mm. So I tried classics, like you say. I tried my Encyclopedia Britannica, like you, like you joked. But nothing. Nada. <laughs> so in the end, I did find a good topic, which is interesting archaeological discoveries that have been found using Google Earth. Now, there are mm. plenty that have been found mm. using more sophisticated satellite imagery techniques. That's very well known in, in recent years. But I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted just Google Earth. And there are some good examples. Let's start with a few bite-sized examples from recent history that I discovered quite quickly in my research. Luca Mori, an Italian computer programmer, in 2005 was casually looking at his home near Parma on Google Earth. Mori discovered some interesting shapes, ovals and rectangles, and Mori alerted the archaeology museum in Parma, thinking there was something worth excavating. The archaeologists actually discovered a Roman villa outside this uh, computer mm. programmer's house, all because he could see the different shades in the, in the ground from the aerial photography. After droughts, it's supposed to be a very good time to have a look from up high, satellite imagery, because the droughts sort of pick up the shades, the, the grass, yeah. the shades of the grass are exaggerated, so you can see where yeah. there might have been walls. Or where I used to live, there was a park, and you could see that it used to be a railway station in the summer because the tracks would suddenly appear when it was dry. There you go. That's the exact yeah. same thing. Another quick example, in 2009, a fish trap was discovered in a bay in Pembrokeshire, Wales. A bit like a honey trap as a way of attracting women, but you just get really skanky women. <laughs> <laughs> or that is, yes, a euphemism for, for their fish trap. The V-shaped underwater wall is around a thousand years old and would have been a clever way to catch fish. So as the tide went out, fish would get caught by the, by the wall and locals would wade out and catch the fish easily. Interestingly, the structure has now become a functioning reef and home to lots of sea life, so of important maritime, biological, biodiversity mm. importance. Anyway, when this was discovered, the man doing the rounds being interviewed by news outlets was the wonderfully named Dr. Ziggy Otto. Further investigation Ooh. of the site was made possible by the aquatic rise and fall of Ziggy Otto and his dive team, the Spiders from Mars. Say that again. <laughs> it didn't cut out, but I just... It... It was wonderful, but it blew straight over me. Further investigation of the site was made possible by the aquatic rise and fall of Ziggy Otto and his dive team, the Spiders from Mars. <laughs> Is this a David Bowie? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. 
Ziggy like lobster tasted good with beer and jelly. So did the spiders for Mars. They played <laughs> in the sand where the fish swam too far. He became the interview man when the wall was found in the sand. There you go. That was that was Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie. That was my attempt at a David Bowie voice. <laughs> it was a bit patchy. It went a bit Bruce Forsyth <laughs> occasionally. A grand control to Major Tom. <laughs> good game, good game. <laughs> ground control to Major Tom. Higher, higher. <laughs> higher, higher. Lower, lower. And the papers want to know whose shirt you wear. <laughs> what do underage girls make? <laughs> Why? Perfect. <laughs> nice to assault an underage groupie. To assault an underage groupie. Nice. <laughs> anyway, in 2014, another example. How old is she? 12? Higher, higher. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, lower. 15? Lower, lower. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything I can do with what's the score on the draws, Miss Dawes. <laughs> anyway, in 2014, 5,251 coins dating from the late Anglo-Saxon and early Norman period was discovered in a field in Buckinghamshire. Peter Welch, yeah. a metal detectorist, noticed the field where the find was made on Google Earth. It had an interesting pattern of furrows that hinted at medieval ploughing practices. Uh, the Woof. rest is history. <laughs> As an aside, Welch is a lovely name, but the only words that rhyme with it are rather disgusting. Like squelch. <laughs> <laughs> you have really tried to trying to find some comedy somewhere, aren't you? Oh, let me try that again. As an aside, Welch is <laughs> so stupid. Uh, anyway, this Peter Welch, I saw another article in which he was uh, suggesting that, which I thought was quite interesting. When you look at Google imagery, if you see a tree in uh, a field that you know is an old field you, you know that field has been there for, for hundreds of thousands of years without much change to its boundaries that tree can often sit on something oh no 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 take that back let me start again okay sorry uh, don't it's put this going in my well notes. this is going very well Go on. As an aside, you wrote, you wrote it in your notes. As an aside, you can say it. Welch is a lovely name, but the only words that rhyme with it are rather disgusting, like squelch, bells, and patch. <laughs> You're in your mid thirties. What the fuck am I doing? <laughs> oh, it's a late addition to my notes, and it's making me cry with laughter. <laughs> Let me try again. <laughs> no. No. As an aside, Welch is a lovely name, but the only words that rhyme with it are rather disgusting, like squelch and pelch and felch. <laughs> they literally are the only words that rhyme with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, good Lord. Uh, onomatopoeic. I think that's probably why, isn't it? I also saw Welch being interviewed on another website where he was making an interesting point. If you look at fields from satellite imagery and you see that there is a tree, a standalone tree, in what is otherwise an agricultural field, a sort of full of crops, that's often a good sign that the field is very, very old. Because back in the Middle Ages, if you encountered a very large rock when you were using old-fashioned ploughing methods, 
you would usually what people would do is plant a tree over that rock to highlight where ah. it is so they didn't ram the plow into it again Oh, that's kind of clever. Yeah, I thought that was quite clever. That was quite interesting. Yeah. Much more much more historical than my fact about Squelch, Belch and Felch. <laughs> um, the Lenborough Horde, as it is now called, is one of the biggest hordes ever discovered in Britain. The coins were found a couple of feet underground in two lead buckets, and a large number of coins depict either Ethelred the Unready or King Knut. Bit of history oh. here. Ethelred... Ethelred the Unready still doing his makeup. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm yeah. going to come on to that. King King Knut's just not texting back. <laughs> Still sitting down by the riverside. Um, <laughs> so two, putting all your coins in two lead buckets. That's an old way to do things. I, now, I, I, I may have read somewhere that the, the find was discovered close to about 20 different medieval mints. Or maybe it was that the mints had come, the coins had been, there was evidence that the coins had been minted in 20 local. Uh, quite a lot of after eights. <laughs> and. <laughs> Two packs of polos. <laughs> Amazing that they stood the test of time. Thousand years in the soil, and they Just were still... shows how many E-numbers are in them. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee they still made my breath minty fresh. So Ethelred reigned from 978 to 1016, with a little gap between 1013 and 1014, when Sven Forkbeard held the throne. Impression mates fact here. Unready actually comes from Unriad which means ill-advised, and was a bit of a wordplay mm. because Ethelred meant well-advised. So it was well-advised to ill-advised. So it wasn't that he was unready, it was that he was badly advised. Ethelred was king for longer than any other Anglo-Saxon king, incidentally, 37 years. Ethelred was succeeded mm. by Edmund Ironside, who only lasted a few months. You'd hope he was ready by the end. <laughs> Ethelred, are you dressed yet? <laughs> if you finally got your slippers on... It's been on, 22 years. Because I just can't decide. I can't decide, yep. <laughs> the red or the blue, the red or the blue, the red or the blue. <laughs> what about what about these slippers? And what about my breeches? Oh, dear, the breeches. They don't match the drapes in the banqueting hall. <laughs> I just can't be doing with all Change this. Change it all, start again. <laughs> yeah. Ethelred was succeeded by Edmund Ironside, who only lasted a few months. His nickname was given him given to him because he was a good fighter. There was probably an opportunity there to make a silly joke, but anyway, I went for the fact. His nickname was given to him because he was a good fighter, apparently. He died when he was 25 or 26, and then King Canute succeeded him. The hoard was valued at 1.35 million, and it was Ooh. split 50-50 between the discoverer and the landowner. As is the law, it's 50-50, or you might find yourself taking a cut of jail pie. <laughs> <laughs> split it in half or you might find your backside in jail being split in half in the showers <laughs> easy got a bit dark unless of course the queen wants to take half your ass the Nazcar lines in Peru they're very well known these geoglyphs were created from around 500 they can't have been spotted on Google Earth first time though. no they can't but don't you worry there's a, there's a reason why I'm coming up with them first these oh, geoglyphs but... were created from around 500 BC to 500 AD which is a thousand year period so I, I feel like people are not yes. really making much effort to date them very accurately they were spotted from ground by Spanish conquistadors and from the 1920s onwards people have been able to enjoy them from the air but similarly and more recently Professor David yes, with, with the advent of flying yes, yes exactly more recently in... before people were able to jump and... <laughs> with the advent of pogo sticks people were able to really enjoy the kilometres of, of yes, yes. 
More recently and similarly, Professor David Kennedy, a Scot who lived and worked in Australia for much of his life, became a bit of a pro at discovering gates in the deserts of Saudi Arabia and Jordan using Google Earth. Now, these gates are lines of piled stones forming patterns, and this uh, Professor Kennedy just decided to call them gates, but they had nothing to do with gates as we know them. He has found hundreds of these patterns in the desert simply by using Google Earth, and they um, can be anywhere from 30 to 500 metres in length and width. In 2017, I think he's retired now, by the way, recently retired, within weeks of publishing a paper about them, he was invited by some very important Saudis to fly a helicopter over the desert. Now, I know this sounds like something Mm. that ends with a dissident American journalist being dismembered, but actually Kennedy discovered (laughs) that these lines were well worth the trip. They are very, very peculiar shapes, but clearly man-made. Like the Nazcar lines, people have been aware of these since the 1920s when aircraft were able to fly over them. In fact, even T.E. Lawrence mentions them, so that's Lawrence of Arabia. Unfortunately, uh, these structures haven't been investigated on the ground, so not much is known about them. It's highly likely that a certain type, they're called desert kites because of the shape of them, like a child's kite were used to hunt wild animals by forcing them into a walled structure. Uh-huh. Others might be for keeping domesticated animals penned. Others might be funerary monuments. Some of them look like keyholes. They're very strange. They're almost certainly prehistoric, though. Bit of an aside here, though. The idea of forcing wild animals into a position where they can easily be killed is reminiscent of buffalo jumps. Have you heard of these? Oh, is that when they're um, in, in, Native, oh, in Native American times, pre-colonial America, they would force buffalo... Off a cliff, essentially. Precisely. Native American tribes would know that a certain cliff was suitable for this, and so they would they would basically herd the, the buffalo off. The process was described by Meriwether Lewis during the Lewis and Clark expedition. And if, if, have you discussed that before, the Lewis and Clark expedition? I think so. Very, very famous one to our American listeners, no doubt. I think it was an, an early European exploration of North America, wasn't it? Or was it an attempt to get from mm. coast to coast by land? Anyway, Lewis explains how one of the fastest Native Americans in the tribe would dress up as a buffalo and position himself a good distance between the buffalo herd and the cliff. Feed like rabbit, you are fast. Put on this buffalo fur and grunt like the buffalo. Well, well I've got my homework to do. And, and then there's my <laughs> yes. got talent on TV. <sighs> just, like, just like that, but less of a whinge <laughs> and more of a roar. <laughs> Like when you are wanking, you know, <laughs> grunt. The other tribesmen would sound, surround the herd and start to move forward in unison. When the buffalo took flight, the, the teenager disguised as a buffalo would then run in the direction of the cliff with the buffalo following. Shit, <laughs> they're running after me. <laughs> no, go away, go away, go away. It's so unfair. I hate you, Dad. <laughs> this man would then have the rather tricky job of trying not to fall off the cliff or get trampled by a herd of spooked buffalo. That is a tricky job. Yeah, apparently it's quite dangerous. So, for a long time, it was actually thought that Neanderthals had used a similar method to hunt mammoth, largely due to evidence found on the island of Jersey. Yes. Yeah, yeah. However, this has since been questioned. So I think it's actually uh, questioned, borderline disproved. The use of Google Earth to discover archaeologically important sites isn't always successful, though. It throws up a lot of false negatives. And there is, for example, a visible grid-like pattern northwest of the Canary Islands in the Atlantic. It's about the size of a town, and for a time had amateurs going nuts because they thought they'd found the lost city of Atlantis or something similar. However, it's just the result of the floor mapping process, and the ridges don't actually exist. Well, that's what they want us to believe. Similarly, 
Similarly, Angela Michael from North Carolina, whose Twitter bio describes her as satellite slash remote archaeology researcher, artist and writer searching for lost ruins with satellite imagery, hit international news about a decade ago when she claimed she had found ancient Egyptian pyramids, including one three times the size of the Great Pyramid in Giza. Oh, that's that's big. I mean, that is a big triangle. That's a big geezer. What? No. Right, mate. <laughs> you show, Danny Dyer. You showed his thumbs up on the old Gisella imagery. He's like, hey. Hey. <laughs> I'm over here. I'm a massive pyramid. I've been here for 4,000 years. Having a lager <laughs> every now and again. Having a kebab. <laughs> However, experts strongly disagreed, including James Harrell, Professor Emeritus, Emeritus Emeritus, Emeritus, Emeritus of Archaeological Emeritus. Geology at the University of Toledo. He is quoted as having said, It seems that Angela Michael is one of those so-called pyridiots who sees pyramids everywhere. Her pyramids are just wishful <laughs> thinking by an ignorant observer and an overactive imagination. Boah, slap. <laughs> classic, yes. Classic academics being... Professionally polite to each other, particularly in the field of history, which seems to really bring out the dick <laughs> in professors. Passive aggressive. In fairness, I think Angela Michael is full of shit. These structures are apparently just butts, and that's what they're called, butts. Something Angela Michael right. is good at talking out of. I have a <laughs> delightfully triangular butt. <laughs> well, not even that. They weren't even triangular when you zoom in. It was like a Madonna's boobs of... <laughs> Lovely ass. 1990s Madonna's boobs of uh, of arse. <laughs> arse, arse cones. Cone yes, arse cones. <laughs> I feel like we could invent something. They're difficult to sit on, though, aren't they? <laughs> they are to sitting what high heels are to standing. Yes. Yes, right, yes. Um, I thought you meant sitting on an arse. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like to sit. Weird, weird kink. <laughs> Um, they are actually just natural geological features that come about when there is a mound of sediment above a feature that doesn't erode easily. Everything around the feature erodes, leaving a flat-topped mound. So that is what a big butt is in the desert. Uh, and there is uh, there is the end of my notes. Fantastic. So, what in your mind is the most is is the most impressive one that's been found with Google Earth? Oh, I think that coin hoard a uh, coin hoard is pretty damn good. I'm sure that is it's difficult to differentiate between archaeologically important sites that have been discovered with Google Earth and archaeologically important sites that have been discovered using satellite imagery because I was trying to keep it to Google Earth. Yes, were there any of you excluded which would have been amazing examples had you widened your net slightly? Oh, I didn't re I, I didn't research it too not deeply. Not so not to put you on the spot. I didn't research it too deeply, but I think there have been a number I think there, there are... Well, the glorious thing about satellite imaging, Thomas, you don't have to research it deeply. You just have to look at the surface. Oh, nice. I think there are some very... Geophysics pun. I think there are some genuine academics who use satellite imagery to find archaeological sites in Egypt. I think I've seen that before. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure there are, And yeah. they found a lot using it, but they are, they are using slightly cleverer techniques than this Angela Michael lady. I'm trying to think of any more now that have been found. There are lots and lots of Roman villas that have been discovered as a result. But then again, that's usually through that's usually using helicopters when the land has been parched after a drought in places like northern Europe. I actually did I did Google whether or not such a technique has been used to find anything at Stonehenge because we we know that Stonehenge site is enormous, isn't it? 
It's it is, but nothing of interest has been found at Stonehenge ever. <laughs> it doesn't stop people from looking, does it? There's basically no. lots of rocks placed in formations, all quite boring, really. But yeah, I, I'm sure there are lots more. Hasn't there? There've been some funny yeah. ones as well, haven't there? Like, didn't someone find that there was? <laughs> What's the car one? There's a car one. Someone discovered on Google Satellite a car in the pond at the bottom of their drive or something. And it... Uh, what? A car in Lake Google Maps. There you go. came up as a suggestion. Here we go. Yeah, this, is, this was recently. This was a couple of years ago. So this is an article from BBC. Google, headline, Google Maps shows sunken car where missing man's body was found. The remains of a man who went missing two decades ago in Florida have been found in a submerged car that was discovered on Google Maps. Oh. And it's really obvious when you look at the image that's all over the website, you can clearly see this submerged car. Speaking of which, on a completely separate note, that is interesting. Have you ever played the game where you type in to Google your birthday? So, sorry, you type into Google Florida man and then your birthday what? and see what news results pop up. Florida man... Um, you- what do I have to put? My birthday. Florida man, and then the date of the date of your birthday. So just the day of the year that your birthday so, falls. Okay. So you know, fifth of June or whatever it is. And now what? Do I- <laughs> so what, what is this? Is, is is there just a headline for everything? Is that what the? Almost certainly. Naked Florida man starts house fire while biking cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a particularly good one. 71-year-old Florida man tied a gun to a weather balloon to fake his own murder. <laughs> are these all genuine? Yeah, yeah, these are genuine genuine stories. Florida man is a, is a meme because <laughs> there's so many people doing batshit crazy stuff in Florida. But I'm particularly pleased with one that came up for me. <laughs> Florida man tied a gun to a weather balloon to fake his own murder. <sighs> uh, I don't think that's even the only one. This is ridiculous. Florida man uh, so rides second- manatee, dares police to arrest. Yeah, second result for me. Police are looking for two Florida men disguised as women <laughs> who robbed two Home Depots. Florida man clad only in underwear stole mail. They're, what is this? And they're all they're all four different websites. Oh yeah, yeah. These are all different news sites. These are genuine, genuine stories. Florida man arrested after whipping out samurai sword in trash disputes. This is brilliant. Yeah. Okay, December. 27th. Florida man worried about vampires intentionally burned <laughs> intentionally burns down dot 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 I think you'll like this one Tom. Not quite for my birthday but from a day very close by to my birthday uh, Florida man with no arms charged with stabbing man with scissors <laughs> <laughs> Oh this is fucking stupid Yeah <laughs> A Florida man tries to trade alligator for beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. This is the sort of stuff I was trying to avoid in my research on the internet, the history of the internet. <laughs> Stupid things like this that <laughs> yes. I don't quite understand. Yes. Oh, that was very interesting, Tom. Very interesting. Well, audience, well, uh, we should think of a topic for next week, shouldn't we? Sod the audience. Thank you for listening in, audience, by the way. Tom, we should think of a topic for next week, let shouldn't get, we? Let me get my sticky notes up. Well, we've got to think of one ourselves for the patrons. Uh, I'm thinking light. Light? Yeah. Light like the night. Okay, light. 
And then we got one like next week for the patrons, and then uh, we need something something from the list for the public, something from the audience suggestion Fates list. Of survival. Let's let's do that one. Simple, nice and easy. easy. Exactly, right up my street. Feats of survival, perfect. Uh, well, audience, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm not going to lie, it was a challenging research topic this week, oddly, but we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, give us a like, subscribe on your podcasting app of choice, maybe give us a positive review. Uh, you could always tell a friend or beloved family member about us as well. And if you really, really like us, then you can go to patreon.com slash genius, where you get an exclusive episode every other wow. week. That's right, an exclusive episode every other week. And you also get Tom's doodles. Tom does an artistic wow, impression wee. of every episode. Wow, we, wow, wow, we were. Uh, some shit songs from Sam, which just get worse every time I listen to brilliant. them. And some print at home, brilliant. And some print at home medals so that you can cut them out, stick them onto your t shirt, and be batting the girls off with a shitty stick. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was uh, something the Florida man did on my birthday. Do apologise. Don't worry, you won't need to be batting off uh, members of the opposite sex or your preferred gender with uh, with a shitty stick. In the meantime, have a great week, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, oh yeah, follow our Facebook group. That was Genius of Funny History Podcast Group too for classic memes and hilarious responses, courtesy of me. Say goodbye, Tom. Bye bye. Your goals are important to us. Bye bye. <laughs>